if you have your copy of God's Word, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 7. We're going to talk this morning about why we need a divine Savior. Why? And Jesus gives us a very clear reason. I've been talking to some people, and people have been asking me, you know, how come we don't do the, the traditional Christmas story around Christmas in Bible studies and your sermons and stuff like that? I've been asked that question a couple times. And, you know, first I tell people everything in the Bible points to Jesus, so you can take everything to the manger and the cross uh, in some form or fashion. But, you know, Bethlehem, shepherds, wise men, virgin birth, all that stuff's important. You know, a star that tells about the birth of Jesus. But the real Christmas story is the, to answer the question, why? Why did he have to come? And Jesus answers that for us today. Why did Emmanuel come to be with us? I want you to listen for it in this passage. If you don't hear it, don't worry. I'll explain it to you. Starting with verse 14 through 23. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. When he went into the house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart but into the stomach, and is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the person, people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for this passage, and thank you for your instruction. Thank you for the revelation of it and what it's going to tell us about our own hearts this morning. May we take it to heart and show us where we need to change and where we need to correct. But thank you for your grace that has given us an opportunity to have our heart renewed. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so in, in light of the context of this passage, Mark puts this right here before Jesus actually takes off and goes and starts talking to the Gentiles. He starts preaching to the Gentiles and going in Gentile regions. And so Mark puts it here because it eliminates one very big obstacle between Gentiles, which are us, and Jews. Food. <laughs> food was a very big obstacle. What you could eat, what you couldn't eat, what you could touch, what you couldn't touch, all that kind of stuff. Well, Jesus is removing that right here, right now. And when he's done here, we will see, as well as his disciples in the crowd, why we needed a divine Savior. So we're kind of going back to the scene from verses 1 through 13. When the Pharisees ask him an original question, Jesus comes back to that now the original question was, your disciples are eating with dirty hands that makes them unholy, makes them unclean. It defiles them. So Jesus is coming back to talk about that. And he's going to tell them 
The dirt isn't on your hands, but it is in your heart. That's where the dirt is. So this morning, as we look at this from, from our perspective, Jesus teaches a fuller doctrine, a more complete doctrine of the source of human sin and evil. Where does it really come from? What's the source of it? <clears throat> in theological circles, we would call this the doctrine of human depravity. The doctrine of human depravity. This is what Jesus is revealing right here in this passage. So what does our soul's inherent depravity teach us this morning? Well, Jesus teaches the crowd, he teaches the disciples, and he's going to teach us this morning in three steps the deeper truths of this thing, of this human depravity. First, he's going to review the truth. He's going to bring it out for the disciples and the crowd. Look at verses 14 and 15. 15 is the one we've been memorizing this month. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus declares the truth about defilement. It wasn't a tradition. It wasn't dirty hands. It wasn't all the pages and pages of pharisaical traditions. Jesus teaches a very propositional truth here to correct this error of the Pharisees. He's correcting their, their belief that it's some sort of ceremonial thing you can do. So he rallies the crowd around them. He brings them in close. And he commands them two things, listen and understand. It's, these are commands from Jesus. It's kind of like what Asaph is calling the people to when, he's re, when we're reading Psalm 78. Listen to what I'm telling you. Listen to what God has done. So this command, here's what's wrong with humanity. Nothing that goes into a person makes them unclean. Nothing. It's what comes out of you. So we like this this thing. It comes in two parts. First is the positive part. I can't eat anything or touch anything or ingest anything that will make me unholy before God. We like that part. There's no rituals we have to do. There's no rites we have to perform. There's nothing we have to do to make ourselves right with God. Yay us, right? We It's good for us. But the second part, that's the negative part. And that's the part we're going to talk mostly about this morning. Your contamination toward God comes from inside you. Your contamination before God comes from inside you. Your defilement is your own fault. Now, I know a lot of preachers love to preach these kind of sermons because it's like I get to pound on the pulpit and tell you how bad you are, but I don't like this. No preacher really likes this because we have to talk about it because it's in the scripture. But the fact is, is that if I point at you, I'm pointing at me too. Because i got three of them pointing back at me, right? Physical items do not make humans unholy. But human expressions in life, that's what renders us unrighteous before God. Our expressions reveal the evil nature that resides inside us. It reveals how bad our hearts really are. Breaking traditions, like the Pharisees were worried about, touching things like dead bodies and other unclean things, blood, or eating forbidden foods, like pig, 
do not contaminate the soul. Human desire to disobey God is what contaminates your soul. You desire to disobey God. You desire to be your own God. No matter what the subject matter is or the means are, it's because of your heart that you disobey God. Jesus puts the unrighteousness that all humans are in back on us. It's nobody else's fault. We can't say like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. He does not. The blame is on us. Therefore, we need a divine Savior. That's one of the reasons why we need it. That is the reason why we need a divine Savior. I like the Family Circus comic strip. I don't know if many of you have seen that comic strip. But every once in a while, he writes this one of something happens. A vase is broken. The cookie jar is empty. And the kids are asked, did you do it? And they go, not me, not me, not me. And then he draws these little ghostly-looking creatures called the not-me's. There are no not-me's. Not when it comes to our relationship with God. It is you. It is you that breaks God's laws. It is you that disobeys God. You're the source of your own defilement. God has declared this truth from the earliest of Scripture. Genesis 6-5. God is going to destroy the world, and he's telling Noah, here's what's going to happen. But here's what he saw. Then the Lord saw, in, in Genesis 6-5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. But then after the flood, when God promises not to destroy the world again or, or humanity again in that manner, listen to what God says. I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. See, it's always been a problem. Our heart, it's always been a problem. Like I said, we love the first part of that, that truth that Jesus presents. Nothing outside you can make you include. Yeah, it means we can eat it, whatever we want. We love that part. But the, the thing we've got to remember is our soul is already in danger. <clears throat> our soul is already in danger. Because the second part should scare us to death. The second part should scare us. Our corruption before God comes from inside us. The big monster of sin is us. It's in us. We need to watch and watch carefully what comes out of us. Well, we say what we do, and we're going to get to that at the last part of the passage. I know we want to put blame on something else or someone else, like Flip Wilson always did, but every action or every inaction against God comes out of us, originates right here. I'm sure we've all got a bunch of excuses. I can pull out one as long as my arm, a list of excuses as to why we do wrong. But, but every action or interaction against God comes from us. The Puritans knew this very well. I don't know if many of you have ever read many Puritans, but they knew that, that sin started in their heart. You know how they knew? They wrote books about it. 
They constantly talked about it. When you write a book called The Sinfulness of Sin, you understand the seriousness of where sin comes from. Sometimes it's hard to read the Puritans, but I've got several of these on my shelf. But the sinfulness of sin tells us they knew where sin came from, and they had to keep, keep on bringing it in front of themselves. Any evil ever done by humans in this world came, comes from inside us. Any evil. We can't blame it on anyone else. No one forced them. They chose it. Jesus taught divine truth about the defilement. So he drops this new, it's actually an old truth, but he drops it in a new setting on these, this crowd. And in, in the course of this, he's showing them that you need a divine savior to get yourself out of this thing. So now he's going to kind of explain it further to his disciples. That was the what. And the crowd got that lesson for them to go mull over and think about. Now he's going to, tell them a little bit more, the disciples a little bit more. Jesus explains the facts about defilement. Look at verses 17 through 20. When he went into the house, away from the crowd, <clears throat> his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a person from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Wow. So he gave that propositional truth in verses 14 and 15, and now he's given a little more explanation. The disciples, they're still struggling with this whole thing, whether it's this particular truth or any of them. But I don't think their understanding is completely empty. I think they've got a little bit. I think they're gaining a little bit. But Mark will continually show all the way to the very end of the book that the disciples didn't really get it. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, they really were struggling. So Jesus is teaching them privately. He's talking about the heart versus the stomach. Well, now that we all know biology, we understand that, right? It makes sense to us. They probably didn't understand that completely because they probably didn't have seventh grade biology like most of us did. But it's conscience versus digestion. It's convictions versus what we eat. Food doesn't defile. The heart is already defiled. Defilement of soul before God is a heart issue, and it is uncurable by human means. There is nothing we can do personally to make it right. Only God can. Mark adds a little editorial in there, which we talked about. He says, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. If you know your Bible, in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision of a bunch of unclean foods coming down on a sheet and Jesus or God telling him to get up and eat. And he says, no, no, those are unclean. So it took a while to get it through to them, the Jews, that there were things they no things that were going to make them unclean. In Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem church writes a letter to Gentiles and says, all that food stuff and circumcision, all that, not necessary to be a Christian. So Mark is, Mark is anticipating Gentile readers. So he puts this little editorial in there to give them some encouragement. And Jesus declares all foods clean. They're not contaminating the, the soul. Now, let me take a drink of water here.
some of you that know your Old Testament are probably asking the question, what about all those ceremonial laws? What about all those things in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers that they were told to do? Is Jesus now invalidating those? No, Jesus came to fulfill those, but that's, that's partially another whole sermon. But what it means to us is those laws tested the faith of the hearts of the children of Israel. Eating the food didn't make them unclean. The fact that they ate the food God told them not to eat made them unclean because they were already unclean from inside. Their heart made that choice if they ate the wrong foods. But even the accidental things like you accidentally touching a dead body or someone in your family dies and you, you get them ready for burial, you're touching a dead body that contaminates you, that makes you unclean. But there were cleansing rituals that you could do. They were simple. They weren't really that hard. Most of them were, you were clean by sunset. You just take a bath really is, is what it kind of equates to in most cases. But following those rites and rituals was a test of their heart. If they did them, their heart was right with God. But they got it reversed. I did them, that makes my heart right with God. No, that's not the way we play. And that's not the way God plays. Your heart is what is going to be obedient that's what's going to make you. Now, now, this is very hard for the Jews to understand, okay? I want you to remember that, that lesson last week about the, the, the Talmud, the, the long list of traditions that the Pharisees had kept and created. Well, they had been ingrained for centuries in the Jews, okay? They had been ingrained in them for centuries, and they were connected to the law of Moses so much that people thought they were Bible. They thought they were scripture. So it's hard for them to get over that, which is why Peter needed a vision and the Jerusalem church had to write a letter. But we need to remember, and we need to learn this, this today, the expressions of a human prove the evil in the heart. What one does, what one says or thinks points to the evil inside us. We can't escape that. It's not our body that makes us evil, it's our heart. It's been true since the very first sin. Adam and Eve wanted to be their own God. The devil presented a pretty convincing argument to, to them, but they still chose. Their heart still chose to eat the fruit, to disobey God. And it's been proclaimed in Scripture since then. God told us the heart is the source of evil in us. And he told us that only a divine Savior can make us right. Genesis 3.15. Jesus said, I'm going to send someone who will crush the head of the adversary. He will defeat sin and death. We need a divine Savior. And that's the only way we can heal. So understanding this was difficult for the Jews, but think about someone trying to tell you that gravity doesn't exist. Or that the world is flat. Anybody here believe that? There's still some flat earthers out there. So getting us to convince that there's no such thing as gravity, no such thing as a flat earth, there's no such thing as electricity, it would be hard for us to accept. Well, that's what telling a Jew right now in this context, in this setting, and even the, the Hasidic Jews today, telling them that they could eat anything and it wouldn't make them unclean. They, be, they would struggle to, to take that. And most of us don't take the news very well anyway that we're the problem. 
When, when someone tells you your evil, your sin is a result of your own heart, we don't take that very well. The Jews didn't either. But listen to what God said in Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Our hearts cannot produce enough good to make ourselves right with God. We may be good to everybody else in town, but not to God. See, there's a difference between good and perfect. <laughs> it's a big difference. Lots of things are good, but only one is perfect. And that's where the standard comes in, and that's why our hearts produce the evil it does, because it's not connected to the good. See, all of our lives, most of us were told that if we make good choices or we hang around good people, we'll be good. We'll be all right. And even certain things that would make us good with God, right with God. We've been told that. I, you know, we've been told and sold at times a works-based salvation. Many of us were taught that temptations come from the outside to avoid those evil places and those evil people that would corrupt you. Well, it's still a good idea. But that's not what makes you right with God. Jesus tells us here that we don't need bad influences to be bad. He tells us we don't need to be around bad company to be bad. The devil is not the source of our own sin. He's not. Flip Wilson was wrong. You can't blame him. And sometimes parents want to keep their kids at home and sequestered in, in situations away from worldly places, thinking they'll be good, they'll be right, they'll be safe. Well, they will to a certain degree. But let me tell you something. I've never had to teach a baby how to bite someone, how to steal a toy. Never had to teach them that. It comes natural. Their sin will expose itself from their heart. All of us, all of us were born with a heart capable of any sin. All of us. And until that heart is changed, we are not safe from God's wrath. Until that heart is changed, we're still under God's wrath. If our heart is not renewed by the Holy Spirit, if our soul is not regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are not safe from God's wrath. We love the idea of no restrictions on our diet or how we worship. We love that stuff, but we never need to forget that our sin really comes from within. It starts there. All the evil that we're guilty of, or that we could be guilty of, starts from within. A heart that desperately needs to be changed by a divine Savior's sacrifice. Only the blood of Christ can wash away those sins and make our heart new. So now he's explained it to the disciples. He's, he's told the crowd, he's explained it to the disciples, and now he's going to illustrate what this looks like. And it's not pretty. This is the why you need a divine Savior. This is why. These things are what... So he illustrates the results from defilement. Look at verses 21 and 23. Through 23. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. 
all these evil things come from within and defile a person. Boy, that's an exhaustive list. Jesus now illuminates and applies the truth of a devout heart. He lists the evil actions, the evil words, and the evil attitudes of human beings here. Obviously, it's not a completely exhaustive. You can break all of these down into more sins if you want. But what I want us to do when we look at them, and when you read this list, beware that any of these can come from your heart. Any of these that we aren't willing to admit and acknowledge that it could come from us, any of them puts us in danger, makes us think too much of ourselves. We fail to judge our hearts correctly if we think, oh, I would never do that. You have no idea how many people I've met who committed adultery on their spouse thought they would never do that. Pastors, marriage counselors, never do that. So we need to beware when we read this list. Now, I want to define these a little bit for our soul's benefit. I want to give you a little, each one, kind of put them in categories so that you can look for them inside your own heart. First of all, the actions, the actual things you do. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adult, and adultery, and self-indulgence. Sexual immorality. All sexual activity outside the guidelines of God. That's sexual immorality. No matter what you want to call it, no matter what picture you want to paint about it, all sexual behavior outside of God's law is sexual immorality. This word in the Greek is called pornea, and it's the word we get pornography from. Theft. Well, we all know what that is. Stealing, right? Let's, let's take it a little further. Taking what is not ours. Even if no one else has claimed it, doesn't mean it's yours. Finders, keepers, that's really kind of stealing. Larceny, extortion, those are other acts of theft. And then murder. Well, none of us would do that, right? Killing another person from malice, revenge, or retribution. But Jesus corrected us in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Any of you who hates your brother and says a certain word, I think it's raw, hates, you've committed murder in your heart. So understand that these actions can be thought, will usually be thoughts first. They'll be ideas first. Adultery, sexual intimacy of a married person with someone that is not their spouse. That's adultery. And it's in the Big Ten. God said, don't do it. Self-indulgence. Now, most of us are guilty of this. I, don't, I know you don't want to hear that. I'm, I'm as guilty as you are. Choosing your own pleasures over right or others' needs. Most of us want to be comfortable. We want to do what we want to do. We, want some, we don't want anybody else driving our schedule or our time. We want to be able to go where we want to go and do what we want to do because we're in America. Self-indulgence. So those are the actions. The attitudes... Evil thoughts, greed, envy, and pride. Evil thoughts. Let's put lust in there, hate in there, jealousy in there, disdain where you just don't like somebody because of their personality. That's evil thoughts. Greed. Greed is pursuing wealth lustfully. It's a love of possessions. Idolizing prosperity. That's greed. Matter of fact, Paul says greed becomes an idol. Makes money an idol. Envy, envy, eyeing someone else's property. 
or place or their position. It's coveting. Envy and coveting are kind of the same thing. And coveting is in the Big Ten. Pride. Arrogant, boasting, overconfidence, unable to admit wrong, self-importance, self-promotion, unrepentant. We're all guilty of that one too, by the way. The minute you think you're not prideful, <laughs> that's pride. So keep that in mind as you're, as you're checking yourself. The minute you think you're humble, you're probably not. The minute you think you're not prideful, you probably are. That's another one that gets us. That's the attitudes. And then the words, deceit, slander, and foolishness. Well, deceit, lies, misleading statements, half-truths. There's no such thing as a white lie. They're all lies. They're all black. Hiding the truth, misrepresenting the truth, that's deceit. Slander, talking evil of someone or speculating something or gossiping. Defamation. That's another one we probably do, sometimes innocently. Sometimes when we're taking prayer requests, we may be getting a little slanderous or gossipy. Be careful with that one. And then foolishness. None of us are fools, right? Well, this foolishness doesn't mean being a fool. It means imprudent, unwise, insincere, frivolous, refusing knowledge. Know anybody that ever refused any advice? Me. I've refused advice. That's foolishness. So there's the definitions. There's kind of an expansion of them. Most of these, like I said, can move from actions to attitudes or attitudes to actions or words. They can move around. They don't, they don't always have to be expressed in a physical act because our heart is the birthplace of sin. Our heart is where it starts. Not one of these originates from outside us. I mean, you can think somebody made you hate them, but you choose to hate them. This is just one of the many lists that are in the, Old Te in the New Testament about sin. Paul gives many lists. Peter gives some lists. But they're usually followed after those lists. If you read Paul and Peter, they're usually followed by a list of the things we're supposed to do. We'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But Jesus gives everyone the bad news right here. He gives not just the Pharisees the bad news. He gives everybody the bad news that our separation from God is our own fault. And the only way, the only way to bridge that separation from God is to have a divine Savior, a Savior who lived a perfect life, never sinned, and provided a perfect sacrifice for us, who became our mediator. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. This is just one of the great passages that captures exactly what God did for us. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Justified by his grace. So it's our fault, but we can be justified. We can be made right. 
It took the divine Savior's life to provide a way to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us and change our lives, change our hearts, wash clean our souls. Bishop J.C. Ryle, a 19th century theologian, writes on this passage. Here's some of his thoughts. He says, and if you haven't gotten it by now, hopefully this will help you get it. All of us, whether high or low, rich or poor, masters or servants, old or young, educated or ignorant, have by nature such a heart as Jesus describes here. The seeds of all the evils mentioned here lie within us all. They may lie dormant all of our lives. They may be kept down by the fear of consequences. They may be kept at bay by the restraint of public opinion, the dread of discovery, the desire to be thought respectable, and above all, by the almighty grace of God. But every man has within him the root of every sin. Every human heart has the tendency to commit these sins. So I ask you to look at them one by one. Hold them up to the light and ask yourself, actually ask God, show me if any of this is in me that I still need to root out, that I still need to repent of. And then repent, confess them. Because that's the beauty of grace. It forgives them all. None of those are so bad that God can't forgive you. None of them. There are no sins that are so bad that if you want forgiveness, you can have it. See, we humans, we like to find the minimum things we need to do, <laughs> the minimum things we need to act to get by. But there's no minimum running with Jesus. All of us are guilty of this. All of us are guilty. And you remember last week I talked about the best form of worship. What's the best form of worship? Obedience. Obedience. That's the best form. Avoiding all these sins starts with not doing them and doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, your defilement before God is not permanent. Grace can save you. You believe in Christ, you repent of your sins, and he will forgive you. We can start by exercising the fruit of the Spirit. There are plenty of lists of good things in the New Testament as well. But only a heart renewed can see the sin in their heart. Only a heart that's been washed can see the dirt. Only a divine Savior can fix our hearts. That's the lesson that Jesus has given us this morning. It tells us why we need a Savior. Why we celebrate it this time of year. Jesus spoke an old truth in a new setting, and he showed that the defilement of the heart is what condemns a soul. When we realize, when we realize our very own heart is corrupt with these evils, with these sins, and we accept that we are sin-soaked sinners, only then can we see why we need a divine Savior. So we need to stop pretending. Stop pretending you're a good person and accept the fact that you're not. That only God is good and we need his Savior to make us right with him. So believer, don't lose sight of what a great favor of grace God has done for us. That would be the lesson for all of us who trust Christ is to remember what's been done for us. 
and tell someone else about it because they need to know. Now, if you've realized today that you don't know Christ in this way, that you don't know how to make those sins go away, then you're ready to believe, really. You're ready to believe in our divine Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's why he came. Faith believes with conviction. I trust you, Jesus, your death, burial, and resurrection for our sins to heal us. You believe without reservation that he can pay in full your death, your debt sentence. And then you repent, you turn away, and you put aside all the things that have gripped you and the things you've trusted in before, the things you thought were making you good. Repent of them. Put them behind you. Trust only in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much. For a hard lesson as this was, Father, for the hard truth that's there, may it speak to our hearts to constantly be aware of what's coming out of us. What are we expressing to the world? Help us to see that we can't make ourselves right without a Savior. And then we live as if we have been changed. We live as we are changed. May your Spirit guide us and give us that light. We praise you and thank you for this time to worship you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and let's sing about how we need a Savior. Anytime, all the time, every heart needs a Savior. <laughs>